doesn't matter what level you're at, whether you're a graduate, whether you're a person in the support roles in our offices, whether you're actually a leader or a CEO, surround yourself with amazing people and you'll be able to you know, surprise even yourself. Welcome to Building Doors. In this series, you'll develop the skills to build a roadmap for success, get inspired by those leaders who have come before you and give you the confidence to stop waiting and start building. Trevor Hall is an experienced and accomplished executive in the infrastructure and construction industry. With over 30 years of experience in the industry, Trevor has developed a wealth of knowledge and experience in all aspects of infrastructure and construction. After completing his studies in civil engineering at the University of Technology in Sydney, Trevor began his construction career with Abbey Group in Brisbane. Always pursuing the next challenge and with a passion for learning and developing, Trevor managed a diverse range of projects in locations on the eastern seaboard of Australia. From roads to defence installations, complex bridges, advanced water facilities, rail projects, hospital and correction facilities, tunnels and energy projects, Trevor has had the privilege to lead all facets of infrastructure projects and businesses. In 2015, Trevor joined John Holland as the Regional General Manager for Victoria, South Australia, Tasmania and New Zealand, responsible for leading the company's infrastructure, building and rail businesses. Due to the success of the business, Trevor was promoted to Executive General Manager responsible for a $2 billion per annum portfolio. Whilst the infrastructure is exciting, Trevor's passion relates to developing amazing teams. Most recently, Trevor has taken on his newest challenge, founding his own business, HC Energy, and he has the role of CEO. HC Energy is a business focused on the renewable energy sector, which is a crucial market that will be an enabler of all Australians' quality of life over the foreseeable future. Trevor is passionate about the infrastructure and construction industry and is committed to developing the next generation of leaders in the field. He's a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors, fellow of Engineers Australia, and has held numerous industry board positions, such as Chair of the Building Employees Redundancy Trust, Chair of the BERT Training Queensland, President of Queensland Major Contractors Association, and Chair of the Victorian Major Infrastructure Construction Forum. In addition to his professional work, Trevor is actively involved in charitable community activities. Serving as chair of the Ambassadors for Water Aid charity, he's also a cyclist, a keen four-wheel driver, and enjoys spending time with his family. Welcome to the Building Doors podcast, Trevor. As a co-founder of the business and CEO in the construction industry, you've achieved a lot throughout your career. Your ability to leave and drive success in the face of challenges is something I'd really like to explore for our listeners to get an understanding of the work you've done to date across many companies and organizations. And I'd also like to further explore your passion for building great teams. Can you share with us some of those key pivotal significant moments in your career that led you to where you are today? So Lauren, firstly, thank you for having me on your podcast. If I reflect on the pivotal moments, and I I think there's been a fair few, but maybe if I go right back to the start of the journey, at least at university, I won't go back too far, but at university, I studied in at the University of Technology in Sydney and we did six months at university and six months out in the workplace and therefore it took us six years to finish our degree. And along that journey, that was actually quite instrumental in me gaining an understanding of what an engineer actually is. But along that space, I actually couldn't get a job in construction and but I actually got a job working for clients originally and I got to start moving around. I was at Bathurst and Tamworth and then back in Sydney 
And later on, I, I actually jagged a job with the Brisbane City Council, establishing subcontracts for them when we'd moved to Queensland. But I, I must admit, I wasn't getting to where my passion was, and that's for construction. And I decided in you know, after having about six years of experience that I was going to do whatever it took to get into construction. And that then led me to one of the most pivotal moments in my career. I, at that stage, I was renovating, rebuilding two houses, and so therefore I had a reasonable amount of um, obligations and responsibility. But I walked into, I actually got a meeting with the general manager of Abbey Group up in Brisbane there, and he gave me 15 minutes of his time, and it became one of the most pivotal 15 minutes in my life. My pitch to him was, I want to get into construction. And I'm willing to do what it takes to get into construction. And Ian Harrington, who was the GM, said to me, Trevor, you got six years experience. I can't pay you like you got six years experience because you've got no construction experience. But similarly, I can't pay you like a graduate because that wouldn't be fair. So I had my pay slip from the current job that I was on. And I said, Ian, I will work for you for 50% of what I'm on today, but I want you to review my pay in three months' time. And he said, well... I can't lose in that scenario, so he gave me the opportunity. Three months in, we'd secured our first job with Abbey Group and I was out in the paddock as a project engineer. I'm driven pretty hard and I end up finishing that job as the project manager. And I went on then to run my own projects. The first time I'd been in construction and I'm already running my own projects. And that was such a pivotal piece in my journey. But there's been others. You know, having a wife that was up for the adventure of moving so I could take on that next regional remote project, she's an absolute rock star. Having a default in my life that the answer is yes, as long as we can all move to where that location is. And then probably the final point I would make in this question was when you say, what are those pivotal moments? It's grabbing the challenge, whether it was when the managing director for Balderstone at the time, asked me to go in and over the weekend become one of the recovery executives on the Clem 7 tunnel up there in Brisbane and when it was heading the wrong direction. And I'd never been on a tunneling project. I'd never been on a major project in my life, but he had faith in me. And my, so my default answer was yes. And that became an extraordinary piece of my life. Then taking on when later in Leighton's, the CEO asked me to go and reset all of the NBN contracts. And I know nothing about the internet. That was evidenced by setting up this podcast today. But um, somehow I was put in charge of 14 NBN contracts around Australia and, and, and hopefully made a bit of a difference there. And then most recently, I've been involved in setting up a win-win-win strategy for the Westgate Tunnel issue that, you know, was it's actually resulted in being one of the biggest infrastructure resets that happened in the world. And so again, just grabbing the challenge of being those pivotal moments. When you talk, one of the things I really want to touch on, because when we initially spoke before this podcast, I think it's really important for a lot of the people that listen are in the industry and, and are a lot of engineers and things like this to the podcast. But in terms of when you talk about the importance of travel, right, and saying yes to opportunities, how do you think that resonates today and how? what is the message you feel from that that is important for engineers coming into the industry, particularly construction, to understand about the lifestyle style choice that they're making? 
So, Lauren, I know we say that the younger generations are slightly different to us when we were at, at that age, but I can tell you back when I was a young engineer, all of my mates wanted to live in Brisbane or the Gold Coast. And so is that any different to today? There's a major attraction to being in the cities and there's everything that comes with that. Here in Melbourne, every weekend there's multiple concerts, football games, you know, there, there's a real attraction to being in the major cities and I understand that. But there's also a great opportunity out there if you're willing to say yes to some of those more remote, regional and remote projects. It's not for everybody. And thank goodness it's not for everybody or no one would be there to build the city projects, right? But if you're willing to actually take on those regional jobs, what you generally find, they're smaller jobs and it actually fast-tracks your career because if you're in the middle of nowhere, you don't have the boss coming in every second day to just you know, drop in and check on your job. They, they come up once a month to see you, right? So your team that you build becomes very self-sufficient very quickly and that is quite liberating. It's challenging but it also allows you to draw out the best in everybody because together as that little tight-knit team, you've got to do everything. And so when you say the opportunity for travel, that opportunity for travel has always been there and it's still there today. And as I say, it's not there for everybody. But I'll give you one example. When I was down here in Melbourne, there was a, a young, probably a site engineer, maybe Nelly, a project engineer that was in my team here. And the young lady had spent all of her life in Melbourne and like Melbourne's the most livable city in the world. So I can understand why she was happy to be here. And I had a chat on a Friday afternoon to her and it was probably the most daunting conversation she's potentially had in her life. As she was about to walk out past my office, I said to her, do you mind just coming in and having a quick chat? I've got a question for you to consider over the weekend. Don't answer now. I would like you to go up to Wyala, which is a still you know, a steel city up right in the, the top of the Gulf in South Australia, nowhere near Melbourne, and I'd like you to go up there and be part of the project team we're putting together. And I said, I know what's going on in your head right now. No is the answer. But go away over the weekend and have a think and come back and see me on Monday morning. When she came back on Monday morning and with her parents, she must have had one hell of a weekend, but her answer on Monday morning was yes. And she went up there and we won five projects in a row in Wyala. I was up there about six months later and she said to me, Trevor, she was only halfway through building her first job. She said to me, Trevor, if we went another job up here, I want to stay up here with this team in Wyala because the team that I'm part of is now my second family and this is really allowing me to grow and develop in ways I don't think I ever imagined. And that's the opportunity if you're willing to travel, whether it's regional, remote, you know, to different locations. The construction industry has so much to offer us. Mm. I love, and I want to go further into what you said about always saying yes. And with that comes sometimes apprehension about not knowing if you're at that level or, so tell us about how you overcome maybe any doubts that you have. So you talked about the, the NBN, you hadn't done that before. How do you get your mindset right that you're saying yes, and you have the confidence to follow through? So firstly, I, I don't want to confuse confidence with arrogance okay so they are two very very different things and and sometimes people look at people that are confident and go well they're, they're somewhat arrogant in what they think they can do no that's that's actually not the case and the other thing I would say is people often look at leaders and think they must be extroverted people because they're always out there and they're pushing through whatever the challenges are they seem to have it easy 
I can tell you that that's not how I'm wired. I'm an introvert. When I moved to Melbourne after spending 18 years up in Queensland, and in Queensland I got to make my way through the industry and ultimately end up being the, as well as my day job, I was the president of the Major Contractors Association up there. So you're well known. You've got a brand and you're known in the industry. I moved to Melbourne and I knew nobody. And you've got to start all over again. And you walk into a function room that's got 500 people while the, the treasurer is announcing his budget or something like that. And you just realise you know nobody. And it'd be really comfortable to talk to the waiter who's serving you your drinks because that's not daunting. But you realise, you know what, if I want to do my job, I care enough about my aspirations, I've got to push myself out there, right? And so that's actually what, what you do. So it's not about just waking up and being super confident. You've got to actually decide what do I, what is my dream and am I willing to do whatever it takes to achieve that dream? Like I'm a cyclist and I tell you, I I became a cyclist when I was 45 years old or something like that. And I see people riding very fast around tracks and, you know, I got on my mountain bike and was riding at a tenth of the speed they do. And But it was something that I had a passion for, so I was willing to put in the effort. And it's no different when you're in the professional space. You've got to understand what your dream is and then be willing to do what it takes to get there. Put in the hard yards, put in the effort, be up for that challenge, whatever that actually is. There's some cliched things about it's not getting knocked down that's the problem, it's if you don't get back up, right? Some of the most amazing leaders in the world have had more knocks than you and I could ever imagine, but they've bounced back more times than you and I can imagine either, and that's where they get to you know, the top of their game. And But you've got to decide, is that what you want to do? You know, you don't run onto the rugby field and get knocked over the first time and go, well, damn, that hurt, and I'll go and sit back on the bench. You've got to decide, am I going to get back up again? Am I going to go hard? And am I going to take some knocks along the way? Because it's important to me. Because if it's not important, don't do it. Find another path. And I love that because when I spoke to you, your passion came through to me straight away. And I think it comes through in when you're talking, you know, it's just the way you talk about what you do. And a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, you hear people talking about the work they do and you can see people that light up, that they get excited. They are passionate about the impact that they've made and the work that they've done. So tell me more around, so all of this has sort of led, so you've now, with a partner, you've founded a business. Was this always the dream or what was the dream, Trevor, that kind of propelled you forward? So, Lauren, back when I was about seven or eight and all my mates wanted to, you know, drive fire trucks or be a policeman because that's what, you know, that's what young boys do. And before I say what my dream was, my dad was a builder and my granddad was a builder and every one of my uncles was a builder. So I was destined to be a builder, right? That, that was in my DNA, I'm sure. But my dream was to own my own building business and fly my own helicopter to work and land on the top of my building to get to work. That was my dream as a seven or an eight-year-old. <laughs> That's adorable. I love it. Up until a week ago, I didn't have my own business. It's definitely not a building business. I don't have a pilot's license and I can't afford a helicopter. So but maybe I'm one step on the journey to you know, achieving my seven-year-old dream. But I've always been driven by the opportunity to you know, get out there and make a difference. And that's probably what I had in mind. I don't know as a seven-year-old what I really had in mind. Maybe I just loved helicopters and the rest of it fell into place. But um, you've got to have dreams. And does that mean that you achieve them, you know, today or tomorrow or the next day? 
No, and the life that I've had the privilege of living has just been an amazing journey. Like, it's not a job. Like, we don't do a job. We, you know, it's almost like a calling and that, I don't want that to sound ridiculous, but I do what I do because I love it, not because it's a job. And the moment I say, I say to people, we live in a lucky country. If you don't love what you're doing, just open the papers. Yeah, I used to say open the papers. You don't open the paper anymore. Jump online, put in your search engine what you want to do. There's a thousands of jobs out there. Find one you love doing and then do that. Do something you hate doing. You don't have to. And so I've always set my ambitions around doing something I love doing. And I culture, I'm a country boy and people talk about culture and values and and when you're a country person, you live with the same people and it's a very small community. So, you know, one of my coaches actually uses the analogy that like trust and all those things, it's like snakes and ladders, right? takes a long time to build it up, one wrong step on the head of the dragon and you go straight back to the bottom. And it's even more so in the country because there's not a big network of people to get lost in. Everybody knows everybody and probably that has shaped who I am And I simplify that down to say to people, whatever comes out of your word, think of it like a promise. It's not just words. It's not idle words. They're promises. So whatever you say, be ready to do it. And then so if you put all that together, you then say, where did that lead me on the career that, you know, come on? It just meant that I got out there. I was willing to have a crack. As I say, I had an amazing, and I've still got an amazing supportive wife and family and, um, you know, we've been out there chasing down that next challenge and hunting it down. Sometimes they hunt you down. But ultimately, it's led me to a week and a half ago actually launching my business in partnership. And um, it's really about, uh, it's just the next step on the journey for me, Lauren, and we can talk about that in a bit more. Yes. I'm really excited for you because I just see that it's all this passion and all this experience has led to you founding a business that you clearly equally, you know, passionate about with your partner. Tell us a bit more, if you can, around what's the strategy of your business and what you're looking to do with HC Energy. So we've had the privilege of delivering some of the biggest and most challenging infrastructure in Australia. And that's obviously not where you start your career. You know, I remember the Yandina Bypass, which was my first construction job, and I remember the work I did with clients and shooting up to Townsville and building jobs up there. You know, all those jobs were like $20 million jobs. So it's not all about multi-billion dollar jobs. But as your career develops, you know, you do get to have the opportunity to be involved in some of the most challenging and, and enormous projects that have ever been delivered in Australia, and that's that's what my career has been. And in infrastructure we've become a little bit normalised to talking about multiple billions of projects and, you know, we've got two that are down here bigger than $5 billion, one's nearly $10 billion, um, that I've been responsible for and, and, like, those numbers are just enormous but at the end of the day it's about employing great people and allowing them to go to work and do great things, right? And that inside me has driven me, whether I'm building a business and I've built four businesses for other people or whether it's doing four major recoveries, It's about not what you can do. It's about what the amazing team is you can assemble and then enable them to do. And ultimately, I I got to the point in my career where, you know, I'm always driven for what the next challenge is. That's what gets Trevor out of bed and gets the best version of Trevor to the table is there's got to be a challenge. I actually operate on a fair amount of adrenaline and that comes with a challenge. I, I don't do what I consider the mundane and... I thought, well, maybe it's time for me to take my 30 plus years 
develop a culture, enrol some amazing people and translate what has been infrastructure experience across into this energy space because I see energy as the next big area for us. It, it sounds like it's in crisis at the moment when you you know, hear people reporting we're going to run out of power in a few years' time. That's not something any of us enjoy thinking about and contemplating. So how do I take my experience and translate that across there and the, the teams of people that I've worked with? And like along the journey, we've built the, the MacArthur Wind Farm, which is the biggest in the Southern Hemisphere, and I've built power stations, gas-fired power stations and solar farms. So you get to do that in infrastructure. But what I'm now doing is taking that and translating that. That's our focus. So whether it's assisting clients deliver, you know, against their objectives or whether it's in partnership with other companies actually delivering infrastructure, that's what we're doing. But, you know, we've got amazing people that want to join us on that journey. And so therefore, my main game is actually establishing that right culture from the outset so that we can do extraordinary stuff. And and that's what I'm focused on and I'm looking forward to. I'm glad you talked about culture because I think that's really important. Important, and it's clear that you've got you're very values driven as well, personally, as well as recognizing how important it is in terms of culture in organizations and the values and the teams that you hire. Tell us more around the kind of culture you want to create and what you're looking for. And this is important for people listening as well. And what you look for when you're hiring, when you're creating a culture, how do you look at building the right team? What are some of the things that you look for? So I suppose is culture is you know obviously a buzzword and it's been a buzzword probably for the last ten so years at least. But and there's not one company. Now let me go back one step. When we establish big projects, you know they're bigger than most companies in Australia, right? So we actually sit down and be very definite about the culture we want for that particular project. And you know you sit down and talk about values and then you know how that's going to translate into action and the like and. Obviously, you know, in my 30 years, I've never seen someone sit down and say, listen, I want to be dishonest and I want to be snaky. So all the buzzwords come out. They always do and you can walk into anybody's office and see what their values are and they'll be in that predictable suite. So there's nothing that I'm doing that's dramatically different to anybody else in there. There's no shattering space to be in in relation to what you say your values are. But obviously the real test of culture is what happens when the pressure's on. And that's when you really see the culture. And like whether it's, you know, the dad that I want to be, well, when everything's lovely at home, it's easy to be a great dad. But when the pressure really comes on, am I still that great dad and partner or do I revert to something that's not as nice? And regrettably, that's probably the case. So culture's what you do when no one's watching. Culture's what you do when you're under pressure, in my opinion. So as I've looked back on Every leader that I've ever worked for and every company that I've ever worked for, whether they're project leaders, whether they're business leaders, whether they're CEOs, whether they're clients, I've been on a learning journey for at least the last 30 years and I always reflect on what is it about that person that I definitely would love to put into my toolbox and repertoire and what is it about that person that I'd go, well, actually, that's probably not for me. So both sides of that equation are learning exercises. And I do that all the time. I always say I've learned from every leader that I've ever worked for. So where I'm at now in my career is I just want to put all that together and say, well, this gives me the ideal opportunity to now say, well, let's put all the great pieces together and see what that actually can look like. And so 
if someone says, what's our culture look like in HC Energy? What we want to do is create a, an environment where amazing people can come together and deliver extraordinary things. And you go, well, that's a whole host of buzzwords thrown into one sentence. Amazing people come together and do extraordinary things. But what I'd like to think is I can look back on my career and reflect on, one, the effort we put in to find amazing people. We do that in the construction industry, right? We have some of the most extraordinary leaders, project managers, strategic thinkers, and we spend a lot of time, you've got a business in that space, we spend a lot of time looking for amazing people. And I then can reflect on many, many times where I can see that once we've got them into our business, we put so many constraints around them that they can't bring their whole self to the table. And that nowadays is a massive conversation. What is their whole self? It's not just their professional self, it's their life, it's their partners, it's their experiences they're going through. They need to be able to be their whole self at work as well. It's not you can't draw a line and say that was home and that's work, that's kids, that's work, that's partners, that's work, that's football, that's work. They bring their whole self to the table and when you can meld that into an amazing team, what I've always found is people deliver outcomes beyond their wildest expectations. And I can point to so many examples of that now that it's just actually given me the energy to go, you know what, we're going to give this a crack ourselves. And that's what we're doing from a culture point of view. Engage amazing people and create an environment where they can come to work and do extraordinary things. The one word I haven't used in there, when I'll unashamedly use it, is have fun. When I set up the, and I had the privilege of setting up the region for John Holland most recently and before I've moved off to this opportunity, we set ourselves four objectives to guide us and one of those was to have fun. And, um, you know, people said, well, that's pretty um, generous to actually have that as one of your four. So, well, it's absolutely fundamental, absolutely fundamental that we're having fun doing what we're doing. Yeah. We spend so much of our time at work and going back to what you said before around enjoying the work you do and if you don't changing it and then also being able to have fun with the people you work with because if you're not if you're in a negative headspace if you get into a toxic work environment and it is negative it impacts your whole life and i like how you talked about whole self because guess what when we go home to our families we take a lot of what we've carried that day with us so if we're going into a, a toxic environment or an environment where we don't enjoy what we do that infiltrates our whole life so I think when you're talking about whole self as well, as well as being taking that into the workplace, I think people forget that you take it home too. You take it home into your friendships, into the time that you're enabled to do your sporting commitments and all that sort of stuff. I want to talk as well, Trevor, more around, and I don't like, I actually don't like the word failure. And I try to use a different term for it because I feel like I find maybe learning lessons learned is maybe a better word. I mean, it can be a failure, but there's always a lesson out of something that doesn't go right as well. So it's not really a failure. But anyway, I want to talk back through your career history and projects. And I know you'll have some corker examples, but what are some examples of lessons learned? Because I think it's great to say yes and go and take on these projects, but we always know that the margins are small and things can go a bit haywire. So what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned by things not going to plan? I think your comment about fun is an interesting one before we, we launch in because I was driven as a youngster in the industry to never fail. And I used to say to my team, 
failure is not an option. And, you know, that was sort of 25 years ago. That was the language I used to use. And as I reflect back on that, what I was really saying was, you know, we haven't failed until we fail to get back up. That's what I was really saying. And not that, you know, if you fail, you're going to get on the head and be gone. It was really about saying, was there's time, there's opportunity, was we've got the team together, we can do extraordinary things regardless of what actually gets thrown at us. And we've had some, you know, when you get involved in tough challenges and, you know, you push yourself outside of the comfort zone, of course you're going to run into things which people can define as failure. But that comes with the turf. But you've got to then actually see whether or not that's going to define you, the fact that you didn't actually achieve what you set out to achieve the first time. And, again, I, I keep bringing things back to the team. If you surround yourself with amazing people and you've got an, you know, an unbelievable culture, people will say you so many times, I don't know, I can recall a time where we were on the project in Liverpool, Parramatta area in Sydney there, and at the start of that job, the minister had told us he wanted to drive a bus down the bus wave from Liverpool to Parramatta on the 14th of February on some particular year. Coincidentally, it just happened to be just before an election, but I'm sure that was entirely coincidental. And we took on this job and took on this job and three months we were in delay. The big transmission lines hadn't been moved out of the way and there was a whole host of delays and there was every reason for us to need an extension of time and it would have blown us out beyond uh, Valentine's Day. And But we found a way around that and we were soldiering towards being it ready on time. And with 36 hours to go, we run across a quality issue on the job and have been asking the guys on the project to work extremely long hours. And I could not actually ask them to do any more. And this particular quality issue meant that we were now going to miss the day. And we were so close, but we were going to miss it. And I almost resigned myself to that position. And I was sitting in my office just contemplating what that actually meant and how I would approach that and what I could do. And the door opened and it was one of the leading hands. So it wasn't a supervisor. It wasn't one of my engineers. It was one of the leading hands. And I'll get emotional telling this story because it, it goes to the heart of a team for me. But the leading hand walked in and said, Trevor, what we've thought about doing is we're all here today. Some of us actually want to knock off at a particular time this afternoon, a bit early. We're going to go home and have a bit of a break and have a, sort of a five-hour, six-hour break. And we're going to come back in the wee hours of the morning. The other guys that are here, they're going to work some additional overtime, so they're going to keep on going. So effectively in that 36-hour window, we're going to get one additional shift. And I, I said to them, I can't ask you to do that. And they said, we're not asking. We're telling you that that's what we want to do. Because together, we've done so much and nobody's going to stop us putting that minister on that bus on Valentine's Day. And we have that job with two hours to spare. Two hours before the minister was ready to drive down, we finally got the sign off to say we could actually allow him to drive along it. And you just go, well, that's what it's actually about. When everything we're saying it can't be achieved, your team around you then step and they'll show you that it can be achieved. So it's not always about you. As I say, you surround yourself with amazing people and together you can you can do extraordinary things. I love that story because I really think it does highlight 
and there's something special that happens on projects and everyone in construction will, will talk about it or if you've sat on projects with teams and worked in as part of a team, it's just something else. It's something really, really special because everybody's got a common goal and the fact that they came up with that initiative and were willing to come to you with that solution as well. I can understand why you get emotional because it's, it's a great story. In terms of your career as well, you've had a successful pathway yourself But I want to talk a little bit about risk and it may be recent developments in your own career that might have had a bit of risk, but I'm really keen to understand the biggest risk you've taken in your career. So if you look at, I know there's been a lot of opportunities that you've done, but what's the biggest risk and did it pay off? Oh dear, I've taken so many risks in my life that I'm just trying to think, what is the biggest risk I've taken? Maybe even something that that people told you not to do. (laughs) Uh, look, there, yeah, there's been a few of those, and did I ever listen? Probably not. When I took on the challenge to in the reset of Westgate Tunnel, that was a defining moment. This was a significant problem, and it, it ended up being one of the biggest infrastructure problems, the biggest infrastructure problem we've had in Australia and potentially the world. And um, I stepped aside from what was my absolute dream job of running the region for John Holland and stepped aside to take that on as um, as my challenge because it needed to be reset for the government, it needed to be reset for our client, and it needed to be reset for the joint venture. And to try and find a win-win-win strategy in amongst that was a necessary thing to do, but did I have to do it? Even my wife said somebody else could do it. You're, you're stupid, Trevor, you know, you go from your, your dream job to do this. But it was... In my mind, it was what I had to do and I was the right person to do it. And it was probably the biggest risk that had some impact on my career. There's probably no doubt it has. But, you know, I bounce back from all challenges that I take on and risks I take on and it's given me the energy to go out and now launch my own business. And um, when you think about the bigger picture, I'm always the sort of person that actually puts the company ahead of myself. If it's the right thing for the company that I've been working for, that's what's important to do. And there's no doubt when you're talking about something of that size, the company actually needed us to roll up our sleeves and get involved. The government needed us to find a solution because we had a project that was stopped and our client ultimately needed to get a a new piece of the freeway built because it's critical infrastructure. And there's no doubt for me that was a risk. As I say, I'll, I'll, I'll still go back to it. It probably has um, everything you do has an impact on your career, either positively or negatively. But um, for me, it often define. I'm a simple guy, so I often define different things in you know one of two. And and I always say, in leaders, there's two different types. And if I'm defining it this way, there's people who run to the problem, and there's people who run away from the problem. And I can understand people who go, well, actually, why do I need to get involved? But, you know, there's others that could do that, and so I can understand that, but that's not me. I always seem to run to the problem, and that comes with risk. When you're successful, it comes with opportunity, but there's always going to be a, that risk that, you know, it does actually have unintended consequences, and you've got to be willing to deal with that. So, Yeah, okay. That's a really good example. And I think you've talked a lot about great teams, and you've talked a lot about your passion of for the industry. So if someone's listening today, and is embarking on their career and is young, you know, may not or maybe looking to change careers and potentially move from another industry into construction because I've seen a bit of that lately too. 
What advice would you give for someone who wants to build doors and create opportunities for themselves in the construction industry? How and when should they start? So there are so many pathways into construction, it's not funny. But, you know, if you're dreaming of it, just get involved firstly. The first piece of advice, and this is a piece of advice I give to graduates when I get the opportunity to talk to graduates, is network like hell, right? We're only as good as our networks. It's not about what you personally can do in this industry because if if that's what it is, you'll end up being a one-person show. And, yes, you'll do things, but you're a one-person show. We deliver things in teams, and you've heard that so many times during this little conversation. So get out there and network like hell because that's how you'll achieve outcomes. Probably the next thing, and I've mentioned it a few times, is this is not about always saying yes, but have your default answer is yes. So think, how can I do that rather than what's the hurdles that I'm going to have to jump over to achieve that? So your default answer is yes. As I say, that doesn't mean the answer is yes, but often than not, it will be then, right? So that's that'll be the second piece. Next, decide, are you the person that's going to be willing to run towards a challenge or away from it? And as I've said, that will then define what you get involved in. And then finally, surround yourself with a diversity of people. And I know that also sounds cliched in the world nowadays, but I can remember back the first job I got the opportunity to be a project manager on. There was a particular project engineer in our business and everyone said, look, he's he's not going to work out. And I needed people up in the far north of Queensland. And I said, send him up and we'll we'll give him a try on this particular project and, and we'll see where we go. That guy just grew and developed and he actually ultimately left us after that project and went on to become a business owner. You know, so it wasn't no good. He just wasn't in the right team. But I actually, you know, just grabbed him into my team, made him feel part of the team, you know, pumped his tyres up and actually held him accountable at the same time. And all of a sudden, you know, he was another one of those extraordinary people I've surrounded myself with. And so, again, doesn't matter what level you're at, whether you're a graduate whether you're a you know, person in the support roles in our offices, whether you're actually a leader or a CEO, surround yourself with amazing people and you'll be able to you know, surprise even yourself. It's awesome. What do you think some of the biggest challenges are going to be moving forward based on your knowledge for the younger generations coming through the construction industry? What do you think we're going to be seeing as some of the big challenges of, of the future? We've got a long time to go, I think, where infrastructure is necessary, not necessarily what governments would love to be doing, but necessary for us to continue to focus on. And at the pace that we're doing it, it's actually going to stretch people constantly, right? And there's still a maturity to be achieved in our industry, even though we've been building roads for thousands of years, there's still a maturity to, to be achieved in our industry. And I talk about a contractual maturity and those sorts of things. And why do I actually mention that? You know, I saw at the end of the 90s when I was up in Queensland and everything very litigious and um, that it burnt a lot of people out and they moved out of our industry and now we've had to backfill all of that. And, and we're at risk of that constantly happening in our industry. So I think, you know, getting involved in a space where, you know, your actual contribution is valued and trying to work for companies that actually take on projects with the right risk profile and in a space where the culture is right, if you can line all that up, um, things are great. But if one of those falls over, your life can turn to hell, you know, hell in dust very quickly, right? So 
you did mention before we operate on very thin margins, which we do. So there's a very fine line between success and failure, right? So you've got to make sure you keep checking some of those things along the journey and at every level, as CEOs and owners of business and executives, We've got to make sure our relationships with our client are such that it does set up the right dynamic to bring people to work so they can actually deliver what they need to be delivering. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Looking back in your career as well, you've spoken a lot about teams and that team environment as well. I'm also interested to explore mentors. So do you have some, I guess, key mentors throughout your career that really helped shape you over the years? Most definitely. I've probably got more mentors and coaches than most, and that's probably because I'm pretty high maintenance, Lauren, but um, I need a lot of work done. I've had the privilege of working with a range of mentors and coaches, and the one guy that's been with me now for 10 or 11 years, um, he's an absolute rock star. And one of the most pivotal messages he, he shares with me, which he keeps checking in on me, is just remember, Trevor, that life's like a three-legged stool. And I'm sure we've heard the analogy, which is about balancing your professional life, your personal life and your family life. Because as we know, a three-legged stool, every leg needs to be strong and about the same length or the thing's going to fall over. And if you don't keep on focusing on all three, one will take over the others, right? You can, it can be all about work or it can be all about home or all about yourself. And it's only healthy when all those are in balance. And every time I have a chat with Jeff, he actually asked me about the three legs of that stool. And it's just one of those simple messages. I actually posted it on LinkedIn. It was so important to me. It's just one of those simple things which you go every day, you don't think about it, but every week you need to reflect on, am I giving the right amount of balance to those three legs of the stool? Because if you don't, your life just can get out of kilter very, very quickly. Like being in construction, it can be all-consuming. And then go back to it. We love it, right? So it can be all-consuming, but that's not healthy. No, no. And it's good that you recognize the three differently. And I think sometimes I like when you talk to, as well about people bringing their whole selves to work. So maybe it's something we check in with teams. How are you going with the three legs on the stool? Like, are we all, are we all even? So I think there's some really good lessons out of what you've learned there as well. What do you do as well? Because you talked about the three legs. So obviously you've got your personal well-being as well. So and I think when you are busy at work and you do run a family and things like that as well, getting that balance is always a trick with looking after yourself as well. So what do you do in it on a daily basis to stay grounded, focused on your goals and be able to have that balance in life? So the first thing I would never be as bold to say I run the family. I've got an amazing wife. Who, well, it's uh, shared, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'd like to think it was shared. I hope I make some small contribution in that. My answer's going to sound a bit lightweight in this area, Lauren, but for me it's as simple as actually having a to-do list in my pocket all the time because the way I operate, my brain never stops and like everybody, we our brain never stops, right? But if I've got to keep on thinking, don't forget to do X, whatever X is, whether it's grab dinner on the way home tonight or whether it's make sure I'm prepared for that meeting with the client tomorrow, don't forget to do X. That just consumes my brain, right? And I want to be able to dream big. So as soon as I've got an action, even getting ready for this morning, I was walking down to do something, I'm talking to my phone saying, hey, Siri, add a note that says, you know, life happens while you're sitting around making a plan. It was just something that came into my head and I didn't want to have to keep thinking about it. And so just whack down a note and then you can move your brain on to the creative stuff. You can move your brain on to the 
dreaming big. And so, as I say, it might sound a bit inter- bit boring, just have a to-do list, but that's how I live my life. I don't think it's boring at all because I think you can get pretty overwhelmed if you don't put that stuff on paper because it, then it just ends up just, you know, rolling around in your head and it's just this overwhelming amount of things that you need to do. So I think it's just a really good, clever little hack to have that to-do list there. I used to have a piece of paper laying beside my bed at home. I'd have a piece of paper laying beside my bed because if I woke up and something was in my mind, just jot it down and you can go straight back to sleep. You don't have to think up in the morning, right? So it's, they're simple but they... They become quite pivotal for us. I think it's great. And I use I use the notes in my iPhone, but yeah, having a little bit of piece of paper and things like that. And it's also that satisfaction of, of you know, ticking it all off and going, well, I did achieve quite a fair bit today because I moved through that list as well as doing my day-to-day tasks. So I think one of the things I'd like to cover off before we move into the rocket round is, and this is always a controversial question with guests for some reason. So the legacy you want to leave. So looking back on your career, and it's not just work, but work and home, what is the legacy you want to leave or the impact you want to make in the world? I want to be in a space where I'd like to think we've left this industry in a bit better condition than we found it. And I think everybody throughout the generations would have loved to have done that. And what does that actually mean? The evolution I've seen in this industry is extraordinary and I'd like to be part of that ongoing evolution. I want to be in a place where it would be ideal if we no longer had to have all these conversations about agendas because we had actually moved way past where we are today. There's so many agendas that we've got to focus on because we're not there yet, right? Whether it's for inclusion and diversity, whether it's, you know, approaches ability and all those you know, there's so many agendas other than just you know, building infrastructure that we we need to be involved in. And I'd love to be in a place where people can look back and say, you know, he actually made a real difference in that space. And as a leader, you get to be involved in some extraordinary stuff. And one of those was we launched the Pathways Program, which was about giving engineers who have never worked in Australia the opportunity to fulfil their dream, and that's be an engineer. And that sounds pretty basic to do but when you talk to your cab driver and they're an engineer and they'd love to be an engineer but they they can't get a role as an engineer and they're driving a cab we actually launched a program that actually gave those people the opportunity to fulfill their dreams and I think there's little pieces of the puzzle like that which you look back and you go actually that's that will be my legacy I want to actually have made those changes so that we're no longer taught the need to make those changes so there's, yeah, look, there's a, a whole host of things in that space. Lauren, um, you know, I'd, I'd like a legacy that as I, if I ever get to retire that um, my wife says, well, you're a half-decent partner, but that's the one I've probably got most work to do on. So, Well, you did just say before how she runs the family. I, there's a lot of happy wife, happy life points happening here, I think, Trevor. So I think you could, you could be good. Well, I talk about teams a lot. So one of those teams is the family unit as well. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
I did want to touch on something you said because I think it's important to talk about when you talk about that Pathways program and because I get so many international engineers that I chat to and obviously our role is more in executive search where we are searching for a role that a, a company can't find, et cetera, et cetera. But I do like to talk to the international engineers that come over here and often don't have local experience. And it's a real barrier. And I know there's that Pathways program, but I'd really like to chat with you around your take on we're in a skill shortage at the moment and there's this discussion we can't find people and yet our cab driver has studied civil engineering. We've got people that are coming over and then they're constantly hearing you don't have local experience. Okay, so how do they get that? So I'm really keen to understand from your perspective, what are some ideas you would give or advice to those engineers? So the Pathways program is just one example of how If you're willing to open your mind and bust through some of your own stereotypes that you create in your head and biases, something really special can come out of it. And I don't want to sound too altruistic, so it really actually came out of necessity, the Pathways Program for for me. And um, we're in a business which has grown, you know, we took it from 500 up to 2 billion. You you need thousands of people when you're, you're doing that in our industry and um, out of necessity, we're constantly challenging ourselves where we're gonna find the next group of great people to join our team. And one of our construction managers stuck his head in one day and said, look, I was just in a cab and I was talking to, you know, the cabbie and I'm getting sick of hearing engineers driving me around. You know, they might be a great driver, but I'm sure we could do something better. And um, we actually also at the same time employed someone into into a new position in our business, which was around diversity and all those those elements. And she'd personally um, worked in the NAB and um, launched this pathway program over there. And it wasn't unique to them. It's something that you know, when you've got a great idea like that, you want it spread to everybody. So all of a sudden, you know, they started to enrol me in that thinking. And I remember the conversation. We, we decided to take on a, a pilot program of 40-odd people. We thought we'll give that a try. And we had a partner it was a, a learning entity that we'd partner up with, so it wasn't just you know throwing the deep end. We wanted this to be successful, and it was effectively over the weekend. Our forty, we hadn't even advertised that it was going to be run, and we had forty applications, and the applications just kept on coming. We couldn't stop them, and we, it was actually somewhat overwhelming to have to say no. We can't take on hundreds and hundreds of people straight away. We're going to make this work, but. So we got these cohort into our business and, you know, they're quite a diverse cohort and some of their background stories has just moved me to tears actually thinking about the life they've lived and their war-torn areas they've escaped not once but sometimes had escaped twice and come to Australia, the lucky country, and, you know, they're packing shelves and coals and driving cars and doing all sorts of jobs just to be able to put bread on the table and, the impact of getting that call to say, actually, you've been successful in um, your application to join the business in this Pathways program and hearing them tell their heartfelt story. And one of the ones that really just hurt me so bad was because I know I've been the perpetrator of, you know, what's almost a crime many, many times. And, I, and I'll share this one with you. I often looked at people that had multiple degrees and had gone on to do, you know, bachelor and master's and it just kept on going as well, you know, they're obviously a career learner and there's nothing wrong with being a career learner, but when I look at their CV, they actually didn't have any work experience. They've obviously loved being at university. 
And this particular lady was telling me that what happened was she was a Bachelor of Engineering in her country and she was in the water industry and she was working for a client and enjoying life and then because of circumstances had to flee that country and came to Australia and got over here and thought, well, I'll walk straight into a job because I've been senior with a client and couldn't get a job. So her lifelong dream was to be an engineer. Her only way of staying in touch with engineering was to go back to university and study more engineering. And I can tell you, if I've thrown those sorts of CVs in the bin once, I've thrown them in the bin hundreds of times. And I've taken the person that's got experience over the person that's got multiple engineering degrees. And I've done that hundreds of times. And when I heard this lady telling me, well, that was the only way I could stay connected to my dream, I just felt crap. Because how many times had I killed a dream? And how many times did I have the opportunity to actually make a dream come true? And I'd miss those opportunities. I tell you, I never miss those opportunities anymore. So if you're in that situation, don't lose sight of your dream. You've just got to find a way to connect that with a business that's willing to give you that crap. And there are businesses out there doing it, right? And get hold of that Pathways program and find that connection and link yourself into it. If you're in that particular cohort, there's many other cohorts out there. You've just got to work that, but don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up on your dreams. That one particular lady had just had her and one of her children, I think it was the second or third child, and it was a matter of days when the Pathways program launched and she came to work only days after giving birth because she said, I'm not going to miss. Oh, wow. I'm not miss this opportunity, right? That's how big their dreams are. So it's it's pretty special. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And I really hope that people that are responsible for hiring and that we are in a skill shortage right now are listening to that and think about what kind of pathway program can you build? You know, there are a lot of sophisticated L&D teams out there. There are a lot of organizations and we're all struggling with talent. There are people out there that this is their dream and they want to work and they want the opportunity and they're reaching out to recruiters like me and they're reaching out to businesses. Listen, listen to lessons learned before you. And if I can have any message that comes through from that as well, I think that that story is just such an important one. And I think that moving forward, there's this whole group of talented people that haven't yet had that opportunity to show us what they can do in Australia. So, And Lauren, just one other point on that, because I'm talking as an engineer, right? And I just gave you an example as an engineer. The other challenge for our industry is to really look at roles and think of what is the actual skill required to do the job. Just because you're in construction, it doesn't need to be an engineer. When my wife was originally moving around with us before we had any children, now she was a bank manager, all right? And you think, well, how does that translate? Well, we're here to make money, but it's a very different conversation. Her application straight into our quality area to support me and all the quality engineering that I was doing, her attention to detail was phenomenal. And the way that I could churn through the work, we actually ended up employing her on multiple projects that I was on. And she had no training as an engineer and she was doing the role of what we would consider as a quality engineer. Now, yes, I overviewed it at the end and had to make some of the decisions, but we too easily default to what we know ourselves, which is we're in construction, so everyone has to be an engineer. That is not right. And that way you can open your mind to a much more diverse audience of participants that you can attract them in into our industry. Then you can have engineers doing what they want to do 
and other people who are passionate about other sectors of our, of our industry or our projects doing what they're passionate about doing. We're all having fun. We're doing extraordinary things as a team yet again. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head on something that I truly believe in my own business even. So the my, one of our most valued members has been with us nearly two years. She came from a contract admin background in construction. She wanted to work two days, couldn't get a job, so we trained her and now she works in recruitment. One of my other team members used to run a cleaning business. So people just keep saying to me, I can't find people. I said, they're all around you. You're just not looking. There are people all around you with transferable skills. Just be willing to see beyond a piece of paper or be willing to see beyond what you've seen someone do before. Because absolutely, you know, being a bank manager, the amount of compliance and things like that is just perfect to move into a quality role. So I'm I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is such an important thing as well that, that people need to realize that things, it's just going to get tougher and tougher. So we need to be really clever about how we can not only find the right talent for our businesses, but also help people get into an industry or a dream that they might have as well. I wanted to ask you one more thing because you mentioned it before around the growth that you had in that business. And you've also talked about culture. I wanted to touch on how do you make sure when you're growing at such a rapid rate, what are the dangers with culture, right? Because if you need someone to to do a job and there's that vacancy, but you know they're not the right culture fit or you know that they can be pretty toxic and not, not a team player, have you had to navigate that before? And what's your advice on high growth and keeping a good culture? That's an amazing challenge, Lauren. And obviously, when you grow something up, you know, from as I say, five hundred up to two two billion, and, and we're a people business, right? We therefore extrapolate out the amount of people you need. But ultimately, you've got to have some non-negotiables in the way you operate. All right, and everybody's got a culture, and it's not a right or a wrong culture. The only question is, does it align to the culture of the organisation you're in or that somebody's wanting to build? And as I say, that doesn't actually make it a wrong culture. It's just either aligned or it's misaligned entirely. And, yeah, there's been examples where I'm talking to some very, very senior people that you've had to make that call on. And and if you're, you come across people and you generally find that leaders in our industry are extremely driven extremely focused, extremely outcome-oriented because you actually don't get to the top in our game unless you are, right? But it's actually how you do that and everybody does it in a different way. And, again, it doesn't make it right or wrong. It's just different. But ultimately I've had to make some calls where I've said to people, look, we do need to either adjust how you're actually approaching something or we're going to have to have a different conversation because, we're wanting a culture that's you know looks like this, whatever this is at the time. And at the moment, your actions and behaviours and the way you're going about doing things is, is not aligned with what we're looking for. And people get the opportunity to say, you know, I can adjust to that. And I've had those opportunities along my career, right? You can either adjust to what someone's saying, listen, can I nuance that um, a particular way? Or ultimately you say, well, we're not changing and you're not changing and that's okay. There's enormous opportunities out there for you and, and I'm sure you'll find, you know, a space somewhere else. But you've ultimately got to make those calls because culture is not what the CEO says it is. And I was actually just having a chat to the um, one of the people that sits at our front desk here this morning, right? Culture is what happens when someone walks into the building for the first time and what they witness. That's your culture, right? Culture is what, in our industry, everyone's effectively a frontline leader. We don't have many people behind the scenes. 
So the culture of your organisation is what you're allowing people to do and what their actions are and their behaviours are and their responses are in their everyday activities. So you need to be clear about what they are and strong leaders are clear about what they are, but they also then need to be constantly having that conversation as to say, well, hang on, are, are the actions of the people multiple layers down in your organisation as big businesses are, are consistent with that and and having people calling that out and making the adjustments that are required. So, Great answer. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you touched on that because it's just such a high growth period for a lot of businesses, so it's a good one. I want to talk about our rocket round now. So this is the fun way that we sort of close the episode out. Favourite book? So if it's for pleasure, Will, anything by Wilbur Smith. If it's for work, Big Potential by Sean Anker. Awesome. Such a big book list we've got going, which is awesome. Holiday destination. Favourite holiday destination? Charter boat on the wet Sundays. Oh, nice. I've been there. Cats or dogs? Go the cats. Oh, hang on. Is that the football team you're talking about? or No. <laughs> It's both. Well, you can take it any way you like, but if, if it's a vote for cats, I'll take it, Trevor, because no one's saying cats. Yeah, a rag doll at home and the Geelong cats. So it's a double tick. Oh, yay. One for the cats. Coffee or wine? Peppermint tea. Is that one of the options? <laughs> no, I'm going to have to add in tea because I know a few tea drinkers. Okay, yeah, I love peppermint, my peppermint tea. tea. White Christmas or summer Christmas? Summer. And what podcast are you listening to right now? Energy Insiders. Ooh, that sounds like a good one to listen to. It is. And what makes you feel like you're home? The ability to crash on the lounge with my wife and discuss how her day went. Love that. Love that. Thank you so much for coming on the Building Doors podcast, Trevor. I just, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed our chat and I think that you covered so many important topics for people in the industry and just people in general as well that can learn from your lessons and insights. Are there ways we can support you, learn more about your business, or what are some ways that we can connect with you or listeners can connect with you? Probably in a couple of weeks' time, Lauren, we'll have our websites and those sorts of things up and running, but I am on LinkedIn and people can actually find us via that forum. And I'm sure you'll see me around in the industry and you'll see us around in the industry because we actually want to be out there. We want to make a difference. And I say to anybody who actually... If you actually want to make a difference, just get involved, whatever it is, whether it's your cycling at school or whether it's, you know, supporting a charity like I do with Water Aid or whether it's making a difference in this industry, just get involved. That's what I've, I get out of bed to do and, you know, people will see us around and there's an opportunity to get involved. And I'd love to point you today to the website. I've secured the domain, but if you go on there, it's actually empty because uh, we've only been in business a couple of days. So, but we will be there and um, we will be trying to make a difference in this industry so that I go back to that point. I think it is going to be pivotal in all of our lives over the next maybe 10 or 15 years. And so hopefully we can play a role in that and hopefully others want to be part of that. And thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I will also, but when this episode is released, I'll make sure that I connect with you. I'll share the episode. I'll share within the episode notes and also on LinkedIn, the website so that people listening, if they want to learn more about your business and what you're doing, they can log on, see your LinkedIn and also go and have a look at your website. Thank you, Lauren. It's been great to spend some time with you today. Thank you so much, Trevor. You enjoy the rest of your day and thank you so much for coming on the Building Doors podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Building Doors. If you've got comments or questions, send them to hello at buildingdoors.com.au. And remember to subscribe, rate and review. See you next time.